it's so much bigger than George Floyd, right? Because life is for the living. We honor and we remember and we commemorate and we hold in high regard and we don't let the deaths be in vain. But we still have people that are currently among us and we need to do more to serve them. Welcome to the Vermont Conversation. I'm David Goodman. One of the most remarkable impacts of the killing of George Floyd one year ago this week is how far-reaching the racial justice movement that it spawned has been. Rallies and protests spread from Minneapolis, where Floyd was murdered by police, to small towns across America. One of those communities is the village of Morrisville, Vermont, population 2,000. On the one-year anniversary of George Floyd's murder, I spent the afternoon in Morrisville, Students staged a walkout from People's Academy, the local public high school, as well as from nearby Stowe High School. About two dozen students marched down the hill from People's Academy to the traffic light in the center of Morrisville, where they held signs supporting Black Lives Matter, talked to people who were walking by, and waved to passers-by, many of whom honked their horns in support. A small number of community members, including a group of teachers from People's Academy, joined the students. To learn more about the racial justice reckoning going on in this community, we'll spend the hour talking with local people involved in this movement. In the first part of the program, we'll speak with Saudia Lamont, an African-American woman who lives in Morrisville and is chair of the Racial Equity Alliance of Lamoille County, or REAL. Later in the program, we'll turn over the mic to the students from Morrisville and Stowe who rallied for racial justice and hear their thoughts and experiences with racism and justice in their communities. I began by asking Saudia Lamont to share some of her story. I'm Saudia. I'm from the originally from the South Bronx. I've been in Vermont for 26 years now. And um, I live here with my two children, uh, one middle school student and one high school student. Tell me a little bit about the work that REAL does, the Racial Equity Alliance of Lamoille. Yes, REAL um, is an anti-racism coalition open to all who are, um, you know, focused on working towards a community that welcomes everyone, regardless of their race, ethnicity, color of their skin, religion, sexuality, ability, identity, or any other aspect of identity. Um, We've been meeting for about two years now. We've been consistently holding community conversations. Our next one is um, the second Tuesday, I'm sorry, the second Wednesday of every month. Our next one is June 8th, I believe, June 9th, I believe. Um, whatever that Wednesday is. And um, so we have community conversations. Yes, Wednesday, June 9th. We have community conversations. We have a steering committee. We have six working subgroups. Um, There's civics and public safety, communication and action, which does a lot of the community outreach. Um, Newly formed health and human services, newly formed fundraising and development, real schools, and we have Real Schools has a youth coalition and four youth ambassadors, um, two in Morrisville and two in Stowe for now. And uh, they actually are students at, and the other students from the schools as well um, organized a walkout yesterday in um, memory of George Floyd. And, uh, and then we have businesses is our other community. So I think that was six. 
and, and we're going to play audio from that uh, the walkout and rally um, a little later in the program. Um, what? When did Real begin, and why did it begin? Not every community has a racial equity alliance. Yes. So back in 2018, there were some um, racist and anti-Semitic acts that took place here in Lamoille County, both in Morrisville and Stowe. And community leaders came together and formed a steering committee and started holding community groups. It was so real is formerly known as the Morrisville Stowe Coalition. And so those communities came together. They were holding groups um, and meetings. And as we build and as people were coming, from all parts of Lamoille County, we decided to expand and open it up to all of Lamoille so that it didn't seem so exclusive to Morrisville and Stowe. But it started from the swastikas being painted on the fields and being put in students' lockers and making students feel unsafe at school and the bullying and harassment and racism that took place at some local businesses. Could you be more specific, um, since many people don't know about these, where were the swastikas placed and what were the racist incidents and, and where? So a family in Stowe um, was visiting and um, at a local business. I don't want to name the business because I don't, it's not, uh, it's not the business that that um, is responsible. Right. They were passer buyers that were shouting out racial slurs and um, and hateful speech to the people who were outdoors, outside, engaging in this business. And so I don't want it to fall back on the business. <laughs> so sure. I will not name the business to protect the business. Um, and so, and that happened in Stowe. I will say that that happened in Stowe. And um, the swastikas both happened in Stowe High School and um, on People's Academy Field. So um, on the, the playing fields at both schools, there were swastikas? Uh, the, no, the field at PA and then in students' lockers um, in Stowe. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Were you shocked by that? No. <laughs> Tell me why. Um, racism and anti-Semitism, all of the isms, right? They've been going on for as long as we can remember, right? Where, where, where are we? Since it was created, since race was created to divide and separate us and keep us, the, you know, this, this pseudo caste system that was created to keep us separated and keep certain people and certain members of certain demographics in their place. It's been existent ever since then. People often think that um, Vermont is utopia and it does not happen here, but it does. It does. And I, I learned that very quickly when I moved here on the first day that I moved here, I learned that. What so, happened? <laughs> um, right off the plane, um, I came right to Morrisville um, from Burlington. I landed in Burlington and we drove to Morrisville where I was moving to. Um, I had not visited first, so I did. I was a little bit of a culture shock when I came here from the South Bronx. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. And, um, and maybe um, just explain what brought you from the South Bronx to Vermont. Yes. So um, I am not a city girl. Um, I mean, I have the flair and the, and, and, the, and the pizzazz, as most people say, but looks may be deceiving. I'm a country girl at heart. I love my garden and I love to farm and I love nature. I need to peace and I need space. And um, at the time, I was not doing well in New York City. I didn't know why. People weren't talking about 
Um, the things that we have the freedom to talk about now, I'm so happy that we're evolving as culture and society and humans. People were not talking about energy and um, space and psychology and how that affects us, how our environments affect us, how energy affects us. And I'm very empathic. And I was picking up on so many energies living in that densely populated area. And it was very toxic to me. And so I had to get out. And literally, as soon as I came to Vermont, I instantly felt better. I could breathe. I had so much more peace. And so I just needed to get away from the densely populated area and find a little more space for my big energy to be able to breathe. <laughs> so you arrive in Vermont, this, um, what you hoped would be uh, a getaway and escape from the troubles of the big city. And what happens to you? So we came straight here and before we went to the house, we decided to go get groceries and went to Price Chopper here in Morrisville. And um, this tall gentleman, I'm very, I'm, I'm 4'11". And, um, and at the time I was 13 and weighed about 90 pounds. I'm this tiny little thing. And this very, very tall gentleman, um, elderly gentleman and uh, a woman, he looks to a woman he's with. Um, I don't wanna assume it was his wife, but a woman he was with. And he says, well, 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 look what I see when I don't have my shotgun with me. And I kind of just perked up and like, I was really confused. And so I, 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 I wasn't sure what I heard. And so I went over and I said, excuse me, sir, would you like to repeat that again, please? And he did Little not. 90 pound you. Yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> because I wanted to be clear because you know, so <laughs> like I said, I'm from the South Bronx and from the South Bronx, you don't do things like that, right? There's, there's very cold, there's cold, the cultural norms are very different. Um, you know, we don't, you don't, you don't make comments to people. You don't, you know, you don't stare at people in, you know, inappropriate ways that seem threatening or harmful. Um, and so this cultural norm and for this person to look directly at me and say it with such conviction, you know, and, but then when I approached him, he got disgruntled and pushed past me and, you know, and carried on. But yeah, that's, it was just, it was a really, I didn't know what that meant at the time. I didn't know what that meant for me. I didn't know what that meant for my experience in Vermont or if it even had a role to play until many years later, but it did sit with me. It sat with me and I, I had to process that. And it was, a, it was a lot for a child to sit with. Have there been other instances where you've experienced racism in your own community in Morrisville? Yes actually. Um, so the, the, you know, the microaggressions and I don't really like that word because there's nothing micro about them. Um, the isolation, the um, singling out, the stereotypes that people like to project on you. Um, it's really, it's really ironic because <clears throat> no matter what tone I use or what language I use, sometimes, you know, people are like, oh, why are you mad? Or why are you, and I'm like, what gives you the impression that I am mad, angry, or upset? Why, why, and they just have that stereotype and I can't shake that angry black woman stereotype no matter what I do because that is who they choose to see. And, um, but anyways, regardless, I live my life and I do what I do. And so we've had instances here where um, a neighbor threatened to hang my children from trees, heed my vehicle. Um, my son has had, um, notes, nasty notes left on our doorstep, which he never saw because I intercepted. 
Um, people would drive by while my children were playing outside and tell us, go back where you came from. All kinds of unpleasantries, you know, from when my child was, my daughter was, you know, a toddler and we'd be at the playground and another child would try to come play with her and the parent would block them. And they tried it about, you know, four or five times to block the child and the child really wanted to play with my daughter. And then it got to the point where the parent just picked the child up and carried them out of the playground. It's, it's things like that, that people, um, yeah, that stick with you, you know? And in the incident with when my children were threatened, their lives were threatened, um, you know, and I called the police and, um, and, you know, I don't like to, I don't like to say the word, but I do like to say the word because when we don't say it, it, it takes away its power. And so my neighbor was calling um, my children niggers and threatening to hang them from trees. And I called the police because we did not feel safe. And the police told me to do my best to ignore it. That night was when my car was keyed and I saw the, my neighbor standing next to my vehicle and the police said, well, I didn't see him physically do it. So then I couldn't prove anything. Meanwhile, my child has been accused of things just by being in proximity. Right. So we're not afforded the same levels of safety, security, protection um, that our white counterpart and community members are afforded. Well, first, let me just say I'm very sorry to hear about these things that have happened to you and your family. It's um, it sounds terrible. We know that in Vermont, police stop people of color four times as much as white people. I'm wondering about your own experience. You're talking about going to the police and having them be unresponsive. Is that typical for you? Um, it was in the past. I would say um, after that experience, and actually it wasn't, I, it was not an experience for me. I do not, I choose to not drive for that reason, right? So I often have people chauffeur me. Um, I do have a vehicle, but I, I do not, like driving for more than one reason. I do have health issues um, and I do have disabilities. So I do um, ask people to drive me, but also because I don't like that stress and anxiety of driving while black, right? Because that's a real thing. Um, so you respond to that by not driving at all? Yes. That's how deep that fear runs. Yes. And for white people, they get in their car without a thought go to the price chopper, come back. It would never occur to them that they would be pulled over for what they look like. Yes. Yes. And you would know, and, and so, and it's, it's not just instances like that. You know, I, um, I experienced domestic violence in the past and not to make this a trauma service, right? But this is just to show the experience and the level of lack of safety and protection for people of color. And so um, when my neighbor called the police, um, they came, I had just been put through a wall, there was a hole in the wall, and that's what my neighbor heard. And um, the police threatened me and told me that if they got called back to my house again, that I would be going to jail. And so what that did was I learned to stop crying for help when I was being abused. So it didn't stop the abuse. 
They just stopped my cries for help. And what consequences has that had for you? I almost lost my life as a result, um, but I was able to get out of that situation. That was many, many years ago in my young adult life. And, um, and I have since gone on to be an advocate and support person for survivors of sexual and domestic violence and advocating them for them to help them get better lives and work through their processes and things like that. But a lot, a lot of that, and, and I'm gonna and I'm gonna chalk it up to this, right? And this is how it, I try to explain to people how these things are tied together and the intersectionality amongst it all. Growing up, right? Right now we have this this time where we, we're teaching children to be who they are and love themselves and accept themselves. Back when I was growing up, we didn't have those options, right? It was do as you're told. You do what you're, you, 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 we were, you know, do what you're told, you do, do what you're, what, what I say, when I say, and you have respect and you, you do not, you don't talk back and, and, you know, very strict. What that behavior does, (laughs) right, is it sets you up for, for the type of things that I experience, right, and the type of relationships that I experience. Similarly, the same thing, you know, and I try to explain to people the correlation. I just recently had this conversation with my mom about, you know, slave master mentality because my mother didn't understand, you know, she grew up, you know, with Malcolm X and all of these things, but she still, and so for her to watch me engage in the work that I'm doing now, after she's been through the movement and doing the work, but still she's learning, right? And so we, we had a conversation about how the ways in which the black community, you know, um, disciplines and, and treats their children, right? Because we, we are raised very differently because we, have, we don't have the same privileges as other folks. And so we are, it's very strict for us um, and all of those things. But what that does is it conditions us to grow up, to have certain mindsets when we grow up. And that's kind of how it affected me a little bit. Let me ask you, how did George Floyd's killing affect you? That's a, that's a much heavier question. Um, because another incident with a police officer. <laughs> um, and uh, where I had an officer literally threaten to put his knee in my back. Um, And so when that happened, it brought me back to that moment when I was dealing with that officer. Um, And they they threatened me and and I thought that could have been me, right? And um, so it, it hit me on a visceral level because that was not just one person. And actually just before, oh, just the week before that in New York, um, you know, a teenager was murdered by the police. His brother called for help um, because his brother was having a mental health crisis and the police showed up and killed him. So um, it's, 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 it's so much bigger than George Floyd. I'm, I'm, it, we all watched, the world watched this man lose his life, and yet there was still a trial 
that had to take place and play out and re-traumatize his family when we all saw what happened. On top of that, you know, everyone was reveled in the Chauvin trial ending and, and the conviction. But let's just think about the people of color who are sitting in jail incarcerated long-term with, on, on, with no evidence, lack of evidence, not, not formally convicted, waiting trial, waiting for that opportunity to be seen before the judge. He was still afforded a speedy trial way too expediously. And so, you know, was justice served? You know, I, I mean, it's a, there's a lot to unpack there. There's a lot to unpack. Has the George Floyd killing changed your activism and your engagement in these issues? Um, I would not say that it's changed my activism. Um, I've been an activist since I was eight years old. <laughs> um, that man in the price chopper didn't know who he was dealing with. No, he did not. No, I got my first teacher fired in the second grade. <laughs> so, you know, I don't stand for injustice and I do not stand, you know, for, for those things. Um, but yeah, and so it, it hasn't changed my activism. What it has done, what it has done, it has changed how I, how I interact with white allies because I see them. I see them wanting to engage. I see them wanting to do more. And I see them trying to, trying to engage and, and build that sense of community and inclusion. And so what it has done is it's created an opening for, for engagement. Whereas before, I've met so many people over the past year and I've been able to have so many conversations and deep conversations, meaningful conversations, powerful conversations, and to help people come to some conclusions for themselves and about systems and about oppression. And, and, and for that, I'm grateful. So I will say it has changed my activism in that way through access. Now, I know you also ran for office. Uh, that's a new level of engagement for you. Tell me about that and why you did that. Oh my goodness. So the Women's March, I believe it was. Um, was that the Women's March it held in January 2020 at Castleton University? Yes. And um, and the keynote speaker, Representative Summer Lee from Pennsylvania, gave the most amazing speech. I was always in, you know, I don't do politics. That's not my thing. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't, you know, Votes don't really matter. Uh, you know, we don't really have influence. I, you know, people just control what we do and I just have to do what I'm told. Remember that back to what I was saying earlier, that do what you're told mentality. That's how you get, I was raised. So I was just like, I'm just supposed to do what people tell me I'm supposed to do. And when I heard Summerlee speak, um, something inside of me awakened and I was in tears. I was, had goosebumps and that I recorded that speech and I went home and I listened to it the whole hour of it again. And I decided in that moment that I was gonna run for office. The premise of her speech was, um, why not you? And that we do have power. And from that moment, I started engaging in other trainings and conferences 
and watching Ayanna Press, I'm like, to, just to see so many women of color in leadership advocating for our people, I'm not gonna cry, inspired me to, to serve. I said, why not me? I've, it, it became, instead of, I don't have the right to do that, that it is my duty to do that. And so I ran. What did you run for? <laughs> I ran for school board against my high school classmates. And we had a really good, clean campaign. And we talked about it before and during and after. And um, I, I had a very pleasant um, first political experience. I will say that. Where tell tell me about the program uh, in People's Academy and Stowe High School the the way that you work with them because we're about to let them uh, take over the mic here. Excellent. So there are two programs in the schools. John um, Lamoille has a programs also. We're trying to work on engaging the youth to get more collaborative, but for us, we've Stowe has Stowe Reach. Um, and Morrisville has their anti-racism group and Real Schools has our youth coalition. And we have youth ambassadors, two from Stowe and two from People's Academy who work together to bridge the gap between the schools and the groups that are working separately and to come together and do that work. And that's how they were able to pull that beautiful um, or, um, organized walk out yesterday. And so what I do is I hold space and when, I, when you come to real schools, youth get the floor first. I check in, I make sure they are okay. I make sure they are seen, heard, and validated that their needs are met. And if that is, there's anything that we as community members can do to support them, that we are doing that. What do you hope the takeaway is for Vermonters from your stories? I hope that people not do not feel sorry for me because my experiences have helped fuel me and lead me to do all the work that I'm doing. So I don't want pity at all. What I want is for Vermonters to acknowledge that we need to create better systems of safety and, and our BIPOC community members should be afforded the same levels and system of care as our white counterparts. Police are here to protect and serve. We should feel protected and, serve it, and served. I should not have to be afraid to call for help if my child is experiencing a crisis. If I'm experiencing a crisis, I should feel that I have the safety and fortitude to call for help and will receive help when, when I call. And I feel like so many people have shown up in the wake of George Floyd and that's why I said it's so much bigger than George Floyd, right? Because life is for the living. We honor and we remember and we commemorate and we hold in high regard and we don't let the deaths be in vain. But we still have people that are currently among us and we need to do more to serve them. The meetings are great. The rallies are great. The events, you know, show up, but let's not be performative. Let's actually make sure we are tending to our BIPOC neighbors and making sure that we have safe communities and safe spaces that don't feel safe, right? The feeling of safe and being safe are not the same thing. So we want actual safety.
Okay, well, Sodia Lamont, I want to thank you for joining us on the Vermont Conversation. Thank you so very much. In this half of our program, we're going to hear from students who marked the one-year anniversary of George Floyd's killing by a police officer in Minneapolis by organizing a walkout from People's Academy in Morrisville and Stowe High School. The students held a rally against racism and for racial justice in Morrisville. These interviews were conducted at a busy intersection in Morrisville, so it's a bit noisy. Throughout these interviews, you'll occasionally hear cars honking their support for the students. I began by talking with a young BIPOC woman who was holding a Black Lives Matter sign that featured a red handprint in the middle. My name is Maddie Zeminski, and I'm a junior at Stowe High School. Um, Tell me about the sign that you're carrying. This sign holds a lot of meaning, as for one, it does have the actual handprint of one of our students of color at our school. It really does hold a lot of meaning to what we're here for. Black Lives Matter has become a movement that really holds a lot of meaning, especially here in Vermont, with our lack of diversity. And seeing all these people who really care about our lives has become really important. So yeah, it holds a lot of meaning to me. How did the George Floyd killing change you and your understanding of issues? After his death, racial violence began to appear more and more around myself personally. Um, That became a trend, a very dangerous trend for many people. And as I began to experience more of these things and began to find myself in dangerous encounters, I also realized that there are actually people dying. Like in Vermont, that is not really talked about. It is not talked about enough. So seeing this start to happen, his death really kickstarted a movement that is really important to students, to adults, to anybody who really cares about it. Yeah. Has racism touched your life? Yes, incredibly. Yeah, it's very far from diverse here. And racism has had a lot of impacts on me as a person. Yeah. I've had experiences in school. I've seen people around me get hurt. Um, racial slurs have become common. And a lot of people have implicit bias around racism. And they just don't understand what being racist is. And even if they don't mean to hurt someone, they still can. I've had physical experiences, physical altercations that I didn't expect before. And now walking outside has become a scary thing due to these experiences. And after that, I realized that I really wasn't as safe as I thought previously. And that safety that I had had been a privilege at the time because that's how it felt and until I realized that it wasn't real. Yeah. Can you describe one of those instances of racism so people understand what is going on in these communities? I was walking my dog um, along one of the main roads by my house and I had a person throw a lit cigarette out of their car window at me and burn my face. I got really scared. I went running home. I told my mom and the burn like developed into a scar and like it scoured up and it was really painful. And after that, I was really scared to go out by myself. Um, Yeah, it was really scary. What do you hope comes of the racial justice movement of the past year? I hope that people find the willingness to want to learn like they really will want to have 
this need to learn more about what happens around them because until they want to do it themselves us just telling it to them won't be as impactful so i really hope that it becomes something that people want for each other and for themselves and for others yeah you know people from outside of vermont think of this as a very liberal place as a place where these problems don't exist what would you explain to them it's because you don't see it from the pretty postcards that you find in the kiosks it exists it really exists and it exists simply because you don't see enough of us there is no diversity and for those who do experience it they're often told that they have to keep it to themselves that speaking up is a weakness it exists and it's incredibly scary so just because we have this beautiful place that we live in doesn't mean that our experiences can be validated have there been changes in your school since in the last year around issues of racism and racial justice? Many of the staff have really tried harder to participate and to jump in for our students. They have really wanted to try and make it a more comfortable and equitable place for all of their students. But at the same time, they don't have all the resources they need to do so. So while they're making those changes, we still have a long way to go. Um, I'm Mia Smith. I'm a sophomore at People's Academy. Tell me about the sign that you're carrying and what it means to you. Um, I think over the past year, I personally have become very aware of the situation with racism in my community and in our country and the problem that is police brutality that is threatening our society and the people in it. And I think it's very important that we continue to work towards ending police brutality because it, it's, it's escalating and declining and all over the place. And now that we are and now that we are more aware of it, I think we are, we are able to fight police brutality and bring an end to it, but it's going to take us continuing to fight and continuing to be aware. And I think that's really important for something in our community and in our country. How did the George Floyd killing affect you and change your understanding of these issues? Um, living in Vermont, I was able to be very unaware of racism um, just because I didn't hear about it much. And I think the killing of George Floyd really brought to light the problems in my community especially um, and just made me need to learn more and need to do something to help and it has definitely changed how involved I am in this movement a lot over the past year. Tell me about these weekly protests you do. Why do you do them? Um, I think it's important to keep it on the minds of the people that are closest to home and they started last, um, around the same time last year after George Floyd's death, and they have been maintained by some amazing community members who have been here. There is always at least one person here every single Friday, and that amazes me. Even when students weren't able to attend because of sports or extracurriculars, our community has kept it going, and it amazes me, and it brings me so much hope. What gives you hope? What else gives you hope? I have found an amazing support system for this at our school and in our community, and that brings me hope. And seeing 
through social media, this entire country and everybody who has really like fought this year and thought about this and tried to help others, it just, it gives me so much hope. I crossed the street to speak to another group of students, including Nivea Trombley, a sophomore at People's Academy and a student of color. I asked her what brought her out today. Uh, I came out here today because um, to uh, represent, of course, uh, and also this is a very important part of my life um, because this is an issue that I have had to deal with before, and uh, this just means like a lot to me in general. <laughs> Tell me what you mean that you've had to deal with this before. Uh, I've had to deal with um, like basically borderline racism. Um, some depending on where I am, like sometimes it's within my family, and like that's an issue. Uh, but also like just I've been walking out in town and have gotten looks, and like I've had things said to me and stuff like that. So like this means a lot to me. Did your what has the last year meant for you, and and what did the George Floyd killing? Uh, what was your reaction to that? Uh, I was very uh, disturbed and hurt because uh, it took him dying for people to finally open their eyes like, oh, this is an issue, isn't it? And uh, I mean, I'm glad that like we're, we're doing this now with the whole, this is an issue, we have to get it fixed, we have to deal with this uh, thing. And I'm like, I'm happy that's a whole thing. But it did uh, disturb me a little of like a wow, this is what society has come to, kind of thing. For people who think of Vermont as a place where we don't have problems like this, what would you say to them based on your own experience? I would very much say that that is not correct, because, like I said, I've dealt with it. I've had friends that have came to me and said that they've had to deal with it, too. So I would say that I know that people are like, Vermont is perfect, but nowhere is perfect. This is an issue that's happening everywhere. What do you hope comes of the racial justice awareness that has followed in the wake of the police killings of the last year? Uh, I hope that society and people in general finally um, open their eyes and some people that are still like racist and stuff like that can not, will change themselves for the better, stuff like that, and understand like that is wrong uh, and that they shouldn't be doing that. What will make you feel safer in your own community? Um, I feel safe right now knowing that there's this many people that are, like, actively being like, this is an issue, and that's making me feel a lot better, um, knowing that this many people support this movement. What does it mean to you to have your fellow students out here? It means so much to me, because just like being in school, you wouldn't know that this many people would care about a thing like this. Because, you know, some some adults are like, you guys are too young to know about this. Or like, you guys, like, that's a, like a thing that's been said to me is you guys are too young to know about this. Um, but I think that's wrong. And I feel very happy that I know that there's this many of my peers that care about it like this. Thank you. I'm from Still High School. My name is Evan Dodge and I am a senior. What brings you out to Marsville today? Uh, well, this thing has been going on for way too long. 50, 70 years, 100 years, 200 years, way too long. And it's just one of those things that needs constant support. It's sadly that it needs this much support, but this is what it takes, then I'm gonna be a part of it. Tell me about your understanding of racism in your own community and your own school. Uh, well, Stowe generally is a 
Vermont generally is a uh, white predominant place and any chance I have to learn more, I've learned so much in the past year just about racism, stuff that I never knew before, like disgusting stuff. Like, like what? What? Tell me about just, what? Just the suppression and I never really like caught on to the fact that it's a systemic problem, especially like police brutality. And it's just the fact that it's been going on ever since slavery was in the U.S. It's just, I, I was, I, I, it was discuss, I was disgusted at myself that I didn't know before. But as I've been learning, I've been becoming more and more um, aware of everything that's been going on around me. How did you educate yourself? What opened your eyes to these issues? Uh, news articles, this whole event, ever, ever since uh, the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, school as well. My school has been doing a very good job at educating all the students on um, on recent events and past events. Has there been pushback from students or community members? Uh, not that I know of, at least in my community. I understand there has been pushback across, across the entire country, but at least at Stowe, it, it hasn't, I haven't seen any. Um, thank you. Yeah. Let me ask you your name and uh, tell me your grade in school. Um, my name is Rowan Dodge, and I go to Stowe Middle School, and I'm in seventh grade. And what made you decide to come out to Morrisville today? Um, I really just want to do what's right. And with everything going on, what's been going on, like my brother said, for so long now, it really disgusts me seeing what's in the news, on um, news articles and um, uh, posts on the on um, like the internet and stuff like that. And I really just want everyone to feel equal wherever they are. How has this last year, were you aware of racism as an issue prior to a year ago in the George Floyd killing? Sadly, not much. I, um, uh, being at home for a while, kind of, I was looking more at the news and on um, the internet a lot more, and um, I was educating myself slowly but surely, but seeing the news, seeing, looking it over with my parents and my friends and my family, um, really changed my, my head a lot. Now what do you understand? I understand that um, black lives need to matter and they instill a lot of people's heads they don't. And the, um, the statement that black lives matter is not just, we're not saying, we don't say, people don't say, um, when you say all lives matter, um, they don't, they aren't really thinking of really much, but when you say black lives matter, black lives need to matter for all lives to matter. At the moment, they don't. So we're trying to change that. Thank you. Uh-huh. A group of teachers were kneeling on one corner. I spoke to Rachel Duffy, who teaches at People's Academy. I teach at People's Academy, and I'm involved in a racial justice group with the students, and the students, as you probably learned, have organized this, and we're trying to let students lead as much as they are interested in leading and support them. I'm also involved in the real group, and uh, racial justice is a huge issue in this country, as it's always been. And you know, for the unfortunate death of George Floyd, it has helped many people wake up and obviously join book groups, but also take some action. So, tell me what you teach at People's Academy, and also about the racial justice group there. I teach English mostly, sometimes humanities. Uh, the racial justice group was really started by students. Uh, they're two main co-leaders with probably two others. Um, and they're very intent on having the school board give permission to fly the Black Lives Matter flag. And they're working in concert with students in Stowe since it's a combined um, school system union. 
now. Um, so they're actually presenting to the board soon, I think next, next Tuesday evening at the board meeting. What would you say was the awareness of racial justice and racism in the school prior to one year ago? Oh, it certainly wasn't obvious to me. I mean, I would, I would say in English, and, and this is another English teacher, another history teacher, um, I think teachers for a long time have tried to call attention to issues of justice and not only, for example, read uh, traditional textbooks, um, but looked at other perspectives. Um, I don't know that students had the, the interest more than a year ago that they do now. How has the whole George Floyd killing and the, the movement that followed changed both the school and the community? Well, I think many more people have gotten involved with real than prior. I wasn't involved prior to, to a year ago, um, even though I'd heard about a fledg- what I would call a fledgling group in Stowe. Um, so a lot more people have been paying attention and trying to teach ourselves and have become white people like me have you know, learned more about white supremacy. I didn't, I didn't know the term white supremacy in the sense I know it now, a year ago. I just thought of white supremacy as those horrible people, white supremacists. So, you know, I think I personally have learned a lot and I've seen other friends and community members learn a lot more about systemic issues. And in the school, you know, we've been working a while to look at our curriculum and see about encouraging um, other voices in what we read. We've, we've added a couple books to our ninth and 10th grade. Just at that moment, a gentleman was sitting in his car at the Cumberland Farms and yelled out asking why there wasn't a sign that said, all lives matter. I went over to talk to him. Larry Lathe right here in Morrisville. I haven't seen a sign that says all lives matters yet. Me neither. And what is your feeling uh, seeing these students with their signs about racism and Black Lives Matter? I, I am totally for it because when I was a kid, we had a family in Irisburg. They, they shot up their house to get them out of there. My family, the late family, were the only ones that visited with them and played with their kids. Us kids played with their kids while they were the adults visiting. And the town drove them out. So yeah, I'm against, I'm for this. I hate racism. I've been trying to contact that family and the kids, see if we can make contact, and I haven't been able to yet. When you say all lives matter, why do you say that a lot of people interpret that to mean being against black lives matter? It All lives matter shouldn't be considered against black lives or any lives, because all lives meaning no matter what what race you are, what nationality, what country you're from. All lives matter. Everybody cries. And there's there's people out there that are trying to get everybody, every race against everybody, and they're slowly winning. We gotta turn the tides. Get rid of those people. But you say you do support the Black Lives Matter group. Damn right I do. I got got two god kids I grew up, was growing up with. Until we got taken, then they got their house shot up and forced leave. And the, fa- the guy was a doctor in that area. But our fr- the late thing, we were the only ones that would stop at the house and visit with them. They pissed me off. But ever since then, I've been for a box. I'm all for them. 
I was happy when I the just, president became black, when the yeah. black president came into presidency. Yeah. Because that mattered. They treated the black people really badly back in the old days, and it was unbelievable, and it was un, it was terrible. I think we need more black people in Congress. I really do believe that. And people ought to stop being bullheaded in Congress and realize that. Well, thank you. As the rally was winding down, I saw Saudia Lamont, who was standing behind a group of students. She has been the chair of the Racial Equity Alliance of Lamoille and has been advising some of the students interested and involved with racial justice in the schools. I asked her her thoughts on seeing the students out on this day. Oh my goodness, I am so proud of these students. They showed up last summer. They did this every Friday. Um, in the wake of George Floyd. And so they have been doing this work, not only all summer, but all school year. They've been doing the work in the schools. Um, through real schools, we have a youth coalition and we have four youth ambassadors, two in Stowe and two in Morrisville. You interviewed Maddie and one is one of our youth ambassadors. And they've been doing excellent work. I'm so proud of them. Um, and the school administration, are, they're doing work. They showed up, they, they, uh, you know, they engaged and supported their students and I'm proud of them for that. What does it mean to you to see these young people out here? My heart is full. The, the goal is to work towards the day where we don't need this anymore. But unfortunately, we're not there yet. So until we get there, this is the work. Showing up, but not only showing up in protest or in demonstration or in performance, right? Because this is very performative but showing up and listening to the students, listening to BIPOC students, listening to your community members and their stories and help them if they need help, provide access to resources. And some of them are okay. And those engage them as well to let them know that you see them and you value them just as equally as everyone else. That's what this is all about. It's about inclusion because so many times history, history has been whitewashed, right? And so the, the, it's, we've been doing exclusive history and that's how we got to where we are today. This is inclusion, it's including everyone. And we're saying that, hey, when we say all, we don't mean cisgendered white people by default. We mean, we actually do mean everyone, regardless of the race, ethnicity, color of their skin, gender, sexuality, or any other aspect of identity. And that's how we come together in solidarity until we get there. Thank you. That was Saudia Lamont, the chair of the Racial Equity Alliance of Lamoille, and the students of Stowe High School and People's Academy who attended a racial justice rally on the one-year anniversary of George Floyd's killing. That does it for this week's Vermont Conversation. You can hear this and all programs at vtdigger.org slash vermontconversation. I'm David Goodman. Thanks so much for listening.